Hey everybody, this is Zach. Hey everyone, this is not Zach again. <laughs> um, and today we're going to be discussing uh, the 2022 film Glorious with uh, Ryan Quantum and J.K. Simmons. Um, but I guess first, uh, did you want to go through some me me me's? Uh, yeah. Okay. So I have. Um mainly been raising another life and working um <laughs> but uh in between that yeah still playing um tears of the kingdom which i don't think i've talked about on this podcast much that i can remember i don't think um, so no it's um yeah especially with the experience of um knowing that they were going to use basically the same map isn't really a hundred percent accurate because it's um you have the same map but then you have the addition of like caves that didn't exist before right just like regular caves and then also like these deep explorable caves that you can dive into and it's the kind of game that um it's it's a really a a, a sandbox but a, not the kind of sandbox in a way that um it's like a, a, a more fleshed out sandbox because if you have like goat simulator yeah that's also like a sandbox and there are like things that you can do uh but mainly the main draw is like how funny this goat is uh and yeah. the stretchy <laughs> logic that applies to his body there's not um a bunch of people really um drilling down and figuring out how to tweak mechanics and how to make things uh, a bit more entertaining to kind of give you a fleshed out experience so it's it's a weird synergy between sandbox and also um elements that are there that are designed for you to sort of enjoy and have some experience with walking through the game i kind of feel like um the level of unawareness that uh, I initially have about things is kind of a like an animal at the zoo where they have like a pen sort of designed and oh this is something they might appreciate and enjoy yeah. like I feel like there's a there's a, a level of intelligence kind of above me that has set things in a way that I'm unaware of but when I interact like it's obvious there's design elements there that I'm interacting with right um, but it's um also not in a way that's intrusive well supposedly um i've seen rumors online where yeah like they just opened up the toolboxes that developers have access to for mm -hmm. this game just so that people can go through them and go hey what happens if i build this statue with a giant penis and shoot it with a <laughs> yeah and you had to know that somebody on nintendo staff was actually the first person to do that yeah um, like they knew this was going to happen. Like Miyamoto was sitting in his testing in his retirement and just being like, ho, 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 ho. he's probably the first one, uh, to build the, I'm gonna um, cover these bacoblins with buckets of juice. Yeah, exactly. Um, so it's, it's also not intrusive in, in the sense that, um, you know, you'll play some games, um, specifically, you know say other open world kind of games and you're you see something and it's like hey go ahead and try to go do that um here's something you can do here's like an activity 
that you can do. Like if there's a little icon or some kind of attention, here you'll have like a speech bubble and then maybe it'll have like a little red bubble there um, if they have like a quest or something important that they're doing to kind of get, get you there. But you can just keep on walking because there's something in every direction, which I think really is something they talked about in the first game as far as the player experience and they wanted their design philosophy that they, they said they started with and I'm sure it went through a lot of other revisions was that they wanted you to have like a square of land and then that square of land they wanted something that would bring your interest in every direction that you could go access um, so that basically means like we don't start from like a whole map and okay this is kind of the whole map thing they wanted it to be that there's a point of interest wherever you go and then it in 360 view there's a point of interest from there also wherever you go and so then your experience kind of tracks with that and i remember as part of the dlc in the first game i think it was the dlc later on it was either that or it was added in in an, an update was a uh, like a map of your path so you'd see from the time you started like all your footsteps on the the path that you tracked and so then people would share their track path and they would just vary wildly um because you know i thought this thing was interesting i thought this other thing was interesting so there was a cabin for an example of that i was way up in the sky area um you know where uh you know I don't know if you'd actually play Skyward Sword originally happening up there, um, but it's somewhere within kind of that realm. And way up there, and I'm looking around to see of any potential like spots, so I jump down a little bit further so I can get, you know, kind of access more on ground. And um, I see this little cabin, there's like smoke coming out of it right. within the distance. And so that becomes my focal point. The next 20 minutes, though, was me figuring out how to different ways I could use some of the utilities that they have to travel and then kind of learning the training wheels with that. Like, because they actually have like a little, uh, it's like a little bird air surfboard thing that you can get it to launch. And there's ways that you can, you can do that in different ways. But once you get it to launch, you have to sort of boogie board it and kind of balance it with the air so you can get it to turn by where you're standing. Um, and then you can also get it to dive by going more to the front as opposed to, you know, kind of the back to kind of get it to scale a little bit. I initially had an issue where um, instead of really giving it like some kind of forward motion, I set it on the edge and kind of leaned into it. And then eventually it would start diving and then the physics took over where it kind of like <laughs> fell off of the uh, the cliff edge yeah. and it would go but then before it actually got enough air i would just slide off of it and so then i would just like fall down <laughs> into infinity and, yeah and have to use my paraglider and then have to load the save again and then i was um there's other tools and utilities um so I was trying to attach these uh, these fans that use up this special energy. Um, everything that has to do with those things that people built use up like an energy battery in order to get them to operate. Mm -hmm. um, so I would attach these fans 
and then I put them on the back there and then I hit it but it didn't have any sort of like traction because that wing thing is kind of weighty so I hit the fan and it would just sit there and it would just be like it's like oh okay failure to launch here um, and there's just many different ways to go about it uh, like you can do things where you can move like you can grab things with uh, this ultra hand you can raise it up uh, this thing in the air and then you can put it back down again and then there's a another ability you have called recall which basically you can focus on something and then if it went through motion you can rewind back in time that motion so your your thing where you're moving it up and then down you can actually just have it path up again and so then you can tell it to stop and so then now it's in the air while you're on it and then you can glide really easily because you have some air so eventually i ended up doing that uh and there's just so many different ways you can solve puzzles using things that involve recall uh so that you have something that you can make a platform and then move it forward and then move it back and then use recall and if you need to get to this area that has a gap then you can just set the recall to start it so then you can just move on a moving platform and then have it stop and then go where you need to go um or uh something you know related to that you could grab some tools that you have and try to rocket yourself over yeah. the area um, or uh, there's another tool that allows you to just physically melt through objects like you have a ceiling if there's something above you within a certain radius you can actually just uh, go right through it and then you just kind of like goo melt through dimensions <laughs> like space-time fabric and then you can pop up off the top and um, I think they, they were saying like originally that was set up as like a shortcut so that they could, uh, you know, get out of caves and stuff that they've been in instead of having to climb, yeah. you know, manually up. So that's potentially an example of a dev tool now being made into a, a game feature. And one of the things they, they talked about in one of the last um, sort of dev interviews that they were doing up to the lead of the release was that this game was originally supposed to come out, uh, I think a year ago like in March 2022 around there yeah. and even then it was I think they originally were like oh we'll try to get it out in Christmas and whatnot but then I think uh, I forget if it's Ianuma stated that the game was done in March but what they wanted to do was uh, give some time for polish because they have all these physics based systems they have all this stuff where like you're recalling time yeah that they just didn't want to release a buggy mess. Yeah. Um, and there aren't a lot of companies that honestly have that investment time and that kind of thinking practice in place. They're just more like, okay, well, we don't know if we're going to be able to get this fixed. Um, just release it and it'll just be a mess. Yeah. And we'll write it off as a loss or whatever it is they do as far as business accounting. Because, um, you know, they don't want to release, uh, you know, just a big buggy mess of a game and so it shows like you get into it i haven't had any any issues um i, I can't remember any other big triple a game i've been waiting for why i didn't bump into you know some kind of bug whether it was just kind of annoying or or something super game breaking 
not to say that there aren't like glitches and stuff here and there but generally they patch those out it isn't something that's structurally across the whole game is just like broken broken um so in the little fits and spurts that i've been able to to play that doing other things it's just um really great because there's people sharing their first like 100 hours of experience and then like other things they're doing from there based on like things that interested them and attracted them and i'm just like okay i spent like 20 hours on like the first two little areas because i was just like playing around with mechanics and um, doing some other things and really enjoying that and um, there's just so much gain like they took what they had before and they just built a a bigger sandbox with sort of more levels so it's like they had a mcdonald's play space and then they just built like a whole little play center around it with like ropes and like other things they just built on that whole concept so there's just so much game there uh to to really enjoy and it's just fun to like play around with things kind of mechanically and to try things out and then to bump into uh some of the environmental elements and things that happen and their sort of character design and stuff so it's really just a a very evolved sandbox that also has some um some light rpg elements around it um so it's amazing you know um i i was you know blown away by the by the first game breath of the wild yeah. and while it isn't that it's it's building on that like breath of the wild truly was like astonishing um as far as a game experience it's like the same the same kind of feeling i had when i started like fallout 3 for the first time and i was like wow this is stupendous like i've just <laughs> i've never interacted with something like this um and it was like that um and you know also just not expecting something like that from um you know nintendo yeah and then this has that and builds on that experience uh, so if this would i don't know and that that it, it's odd because people talk about um well you know if this game takes place in the same place but also has other elements you know why would you ever have someone play breath of the wild but breath of the wild is even from like the beginning in game it's just a different experience and i would i would have somebody if like they were new to the games or play breath of the wild first and then come to this game just because you don't you don't miss out and it would be a shame to miss out on on that experience um you know sort of right off the bat uh it isn't like this game's a replacement it just builds up on um so yeah my free time i usually uh play that uh quite a bit instead of you know doing doing other things um we're uh wife and i are on the just finally reached the latest season of succession oh okay uh, that shows really great um she likes to rewatch the series to like refresh and i'm always just like i remember what happened can we please just watch the new season 
especially now because you know we have we have a little one so it just takes forever to, get to catch up on three seasons worth of stuff like it's just taken us weeks that's prestige seasons too so it's only like what 10 episodes yeah per season? Mm-hmm. yeah yeah so really excited about watching that um because i haven't had anything to spoil what's occurred there so i'm just kind of waiting to bump into that seeing what that's like um this is the year of a lot of um series finales for me apparently um yeah this Barry, with the other two better shows. call saul succession mm-hmm. yeah succession um ted, ted lasso. lasso yeah yeah they, they wrapped up as well yeah so yeah we'll see how um this series finales go i've kind of felt a little ambiguous about some of the other ones um that i've seen even better call saul i thought was a little bit a little bit uh a little odd it just um and it's i I feel like part of the the response to crafting a series finale is always informed by past series finales and like fan response yeah so I feel like it it really guides how the writers uh, move forward with it for better and sometimes I think for worse because they're they just like, oh, well, we want to make sure we scratch all these these itches and things that kind of resolved. Um, yeah, you're never going to make everyone happy with something like that, though. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you, you know, you try to make everyone happy and you end up um, just kind of getting in a place that logically maybe makes sense like for me sometimes resolution isn't really what i'm looking for like i'm looking for the kind of show i've been watching yeah so when you sort of change that format uh it's it just feels really foreign and i think it's really hard for shows to hit a balance of hitting that what they've been doing before and then sort of take a a lap to go around and you know button things up um the two series finales that come to mind that i think handled it sort of differently and uh, effectively my wife was re-watching parks and rec and i think that series finale does a pretty good job oh with um, the flash forward yeah the yeah. flash forward um in a flash forward that makes sense and you you get buttoning up of things but also um, doesn't really make it feel like it's really ending ending. It's just more like we're taking a step away from the characters. Yeah, like they're, like they're going their lives. They're continuing mm-hmm. on. And yeah. Yeah. And um, like Modern Family, I felt, was just a really weird series finale mm-hmm. uh, for me because it was, um, it was the format was so different because they were trying to, I feel, make everyone happy and like button things up. And so the flow of the show was just completely different. Um, and it felt like, well, I mean, is everybody going to... It's almost like I'm expecting, like, is everyone just going to, like, die in, like, a plane crash here? Because the just the tone... It wasn't, like, a negative tone. It's just the... It, it catches kind of a viewer like me, I guess, sort of off guard when you sort of change that formula and don't 
don't just keep the like button things up and but for me sometimes it in different circumstances it just makes sense to keep it within the same kind of formula package yeah whether than deviating out of that to try to please everyone because in your traditional formula package of how the show would flow you you wouldn't be able to hit all these points sure sure um but it i think it's also a testament to that you know the writers can't please everybody because they didn't please me um so yeah you know (laughs) what are they gonna do uh maybe there's a bunch of people that were you know really pleased by it um i think that's that's really the bulk of stuff for me well you, you know what's funny since you're talking about series finales um with the writer strike going on and everything um word is that stranger things final season is going to come out in 2026 potentially wow <laughs> which it's like like those those kids are going to be goddamn near 30 like mm-hmm. <laughs> what are you doing at this point like why why bother let's just let the last one be the last one <laughs> yeah i think you know they they're they're trying to squish like two blockbuster films now each season so that's why you have like all that development and time and so yeah it takes a couple years to finish a film um see all that post-production they have to do so it's it's on a scale where they can't yeah they can't get it you know in regular like show format um uh yeah i mean i'm i wasn't a huge fan of what they did with season four where they they split it mm-hmm. um my suspicion is it's so that they can hit the award seasons and the mm-hmm. bigger paychecks um which like yeah i mean sure go for the bag but like <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know i it was very strange to watch a series of regular sized episodes and then two episodes mm-hmm. that were like two and a half hours a piece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there were there were films. Like it's a hundred percent a way to to duck around writers guild rules and get mm-hmm. more more coverage and content out of out of these guys without having to pay them. Um, yeah, which and also. Shitty. And Zach Land awards don't really mean anything for, for content. <laughs> they really don't. <laughs> no, Zach has an alternate universe, like Raspberry set of awards that he awards things in his mind. Um, there's there's and there's a Hall of Fame of things that are up there. The the uh, original D and D movies there, like way up at the top. That's the pinnacle, um, baby. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> everything should aspire to be this. <laughs> Give me this level of nostalgia um, and also something that I like and make an effort yeah. uh, and you'll live You'll live on in the hallowed halls of Zach's Mind Palace. Yes. <laughs> um, well, it's funny. I Most of my stuff this week uh, will not live on in my Mind Palace. It, it, it was enjoyable, but um, I probably won't revisit it very often, um, if at all. Uh, I guess first off, I watched the, uh, or finished the show on Netflix that I had started a while ago. Mm-hmm. Um, the Pentaveret. It's the Mike Myers comedy where he's playing like 18 different people. <laughs> yeah, talk about alternate universe. Um, it's, like, there's a lot of funny gags, like, of, of the Austin Powers variety where it's it's a joke about how a property is made and filmed and whatnot like 
there's a scene where they're in Canada and they're crossing the border into America. And in Canada, everything is kind of grainy and looks like high eight footage. And then when they cross the border, everything is like 4K and clear. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, America comes in high. Like they literally say everything sharper in America um, wow. as they cross the border. <laughs> Things like that. Um, it's, I mean, it's about a secret society that control. like, it's, it's very much a conspiracy theory thing, but it's, um, very jokey. Uh, I will say if you've ever wondered what Mike Myers looks like naked, you have the answer to that question several times in this show, which is a weird choice to be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always weird when someone is so creatively involved and, you know, producer credit writing credit show running and then they're acting and they're like no i need people to to see my genitals yeah they have to see them yeah <laughs> it's just a very weird choice <laughs> i suppose you know in in that world it's that's the better of the two things where it's uh i need people to have other people see other people's genitals yeah um yeah no it's a better or... setup than that yeah because I mean, you're you're jumping on the cross there. I mean, yeah. go for it. Or I need to have like the uh, the really gross Disney track arc where I need to have people see these people's feet because I want to <laughs> film them. Ugh. Oh wow. God, man! So Wiki feet is going to explode in AI generated art. Yeah, I imagine. There's gonna be um, subgenres uh, where they just want to generate like half a foot, like just give me the front part of the foot with like the toes, or mix yeah. it so that I get heel mixing with toes. So like half of the front of the foot is the heel, and then the toes stick out on the other side. There's just so many ways to to slice that foot cantaloupe. Um, well, you know what? Because they're using AI. I don't know if this is someone fucking with with this person or not, but uh, there there's a um, an offshoot of the the cracked diaspora that that is on a show that I listen to, and she was uh, the ring bearer in uh, another member of the cracked diaspora's wedding, and it was very cute. Like all of this stuff was shared online. Um, she comes out dressed as Frodo with the rings because she kind of looks like Elijah Wood with with the, mm. the, the hair, right? Um, and then I, you know, I, I follow her on Twitter and she posted this screenshot and she, with the tag literally, what the fuck, guys? Where someone had combed through her Instagram, posted this photo of her, and apparently she was wearing a costume with, like, the big, like, fake hobbit feet that are obviously fake around you. And mm-hmm. someone had posted that image just super zoomed into those feet that are obviously fake and attributed wow. to her. And it's like, Jesus Christ, there's some weirdos out there. I like it. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. And the, the thing is, it's apparently, this is such a, um, such a common fetish for folks uh, that yeah. even amongst our paltry um, amount of listeners there's going to be people that are like yeah that's my thing i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up while i'm listening to this now you guys you guys lit the fire i need to go see some feet okay 
Yeah. All right. Don't know where it comes from, um, other than. Yeah, I'm not even going to delve into it psychologically. I mean, uh, the construction of your foot, from a evolutionary perspective, has plays a, a, a big importance in survival. Yeah. Like you would literally need it to sur- to like move around to be mobile. Yeah. Within like a really you know non-industrialized society you know that didn't have other means of like locomotion or travel so maybe there's a deep hook in there for people as far as like evaluation in that regard or maybe it's just something more base and crass something like right when you come online so to speak where like because so for anyone that doesn't know dan Harmon is a guy that that writes uh for anyone that doesn't know don't look into it um (laughs) continue but but he had a a, a podcast and he like he's very open about his like weird mannequin fetishes and like um, Mm -hmm. like in interest in foot stuff but specifically like heels and, and stockings and whatnot and like he's able to trace it back to like as a little little kid being like playing while his mom had like her friends over for coffee or whatever and like Mm -hmm going under the table after something and seeing his his mom's friend like popping her shoe on the end of her her foot or whatever and like that being one of the 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 things that brought him online so to speak um and it's just like yeah like there there's multiple episodes devoted to that topic and it's like jesus christ man i think this is too much airing of your yeah (laughs) personal interests Um, yeah. So yeah, I I recommend the Pentaverit if you need something funny. Um, it it brought me out of a funk because Mike Myers is is ultimately a, a very good writer and is funny. Um, I don't yeah. know how rewatchable it, it is because it's only like four episodes, maybe five. Um, it's like a little mini series. Yeah, it's like a little mini series. It's not really set up for a sequel. So. Yeah, it was um interesting to see the trailers for those because it it really felt like. Uh, like a traveling back in time, you know. Um, even if the writing structure or anything was different, seeing him, uh, you know, playing just multiple characters, right. that kind of style of humor, yeah. feels very specific to a period, yeah. you know. Um, so it wasn't something that I was like, oh, I'd go back in um, <laughs> again for that. I'd probably have to watch uh, some of the Austin Powers things first. Those actually up. held up fairly well, like better than most '90s comedies, in my opinion. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, as weird as a sex pest as he is in the movie, mm-hmm. like there are very explicit scenes of, around like uh, respecting consent mm-hmm. <laughs> and things like that that you wouldn't have necessarily expected of a '90s comedy mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they, they do hold up. I mean, he's a, a very funny writer and comedian. Um, but uh, let's see. I also finished up uh, a series called The Blind Dead that isn't really... A se- so my wife was able to track down a lot of these because a lot of these are, are the types of things you would buy from a shady vendor at a horror convention because no one really owns the rights to them anymore, I don't think. Um, but The Blind Dead is a series from the 70s um, from Spain 
right? So there's Tombs of the Blind Dead, Return of the Blind Dead, The Ghost Galleon, and Night of the Seagulls. And generally they're about zombies, kind of? Um, it's... <laughs> so the through line in all of them is that the monsters are the reanimated corpses of Knights Templar. But they're not necessarily zombies. Like, they grab people to sacrifice them to whatever Templar god. I guess Moloch. Um, mm-hmm. and, well, and it's funny because they're, they're listed as a series. They're not really interconnected. Like, they all end on a very final, like, this is, like, the end of the world. Like, these things are going to come out and just murder mm-hmm. everyone. And then the next film starts out with, no mention of previous events so they're not really interconnected they just have very similar monster design um they're wild though like they're um they're not dissimilar from night of the living dead um because ultimately they're all about you know people working together get out of different difficult situations blah 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 um Mm. They're really tense horror movies. Like they're they're of the type of movie that like, you know, John Carpenter would make, for example. They're kind of slow. Um, honestly, the I would not be surprised at all if he got the idea for the fog after watching um, the Ghost Galleon, if if mm-hmm. he's even aware of that film. Um, but like the newest one of these came out in nineteen seventy six. So again, like no one really. It's one of those, like, lost rights things, because it's like, yeah, these studios don't, like, they haven't existed for 50 years. <laughs> but, um, like, Blue Underground has put out a couple of them. Um, Shout Factory's put out a, a couple of them. Um, the For whatever reason, Night of the Seagulls, I think, is the easiest to get your hands on. Um, and it's probably the best um, acted I guess I think it's it's probably the highest budget of, of the four of them, but um, yeah, I think those are going to be a uh, like a like a Halloween um, tradition to <laughs> to mm-hmm. bust those out and watch those over the course of Halloween. Um, and then I guess finally, uh, I saved this one for last because I figure that this will be one that we can talk on. Um, is I finally no, I sat down and watched. I didn't see it in theaters because I was still like hesitant to go out without a mask, and I was like, "Well, I'm not going to a theater to sit there with a mask on and blah blah blah." Um, mm-hmm. But I finally sat down on Disney Plus and watched Wakanda Forever. Mm-hmm. Oh boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I don't know. It makes me sad. Um, they. Like, the first one was so, so good. And I don't know if it's because Chadwick Boseman is an extremely charismatic person that can carry a mm-hmm. movie. Um, <clears throat> or, or what. Because I, I'm assuming some of it is that they had to pivot so hard after his death. And they made the oh, absolutely movie about his death. Mm-hmm. But, like, they they didn't have to. Like, this, this will sound cold because i do love chadwick boseman dearly but could they not have just recast him no 
They could not. Because, I mean, well, they've recast other roles in the... Uh, granted, not, like, title characters. But they've mm-hmm. recast other roles in the universe. And I, I, like, I feel like one of the weaknesses to this movie is that they're... They're tying the death of the character so closely with the death of the actor that mm-hmm. it it's blurring the lines in a way that's just like, well, this is just kind of uncomfortable to watch. Like, it feels like they're exploiting the death of their actor for the sake uh, of the film. I think they're trying to... Uh, leading into the, the director's talk about it um, and looking into, like, their approach. They're basically... Um, half of the movie and i think the the half that's effective for me is the fact that it's a morning movie for the character and also the actor yeah um and i think that component of it is most effective and for me the stuff that doesn't have to do with that is a lot less effective because it's kind of it's kind of making a, a film that has to eulogize uh, a character and a real person and pay that respect and also have uh, Shuri's character and the actress um, experience that uh, and uh, you know Angela Bassett's character also experience that and also you know the actress and so those ring really clear for me and then you also you just have a little bit of superhero stuff that sort of potpourri on top yeah and so it's it's kind of um it's like a really great stew uh but then someone mixed in like bubblegum flavor and so you notice like the bubblegum flavor that comes in and so that i felt was the the difficulty in in watching the film is that you'd have something that's really heartfelt and then you'd have um ironheart i think is her name and her character sort of come in and not really make sense but they're trying to set her up for her show yeah i i was so frustrated with the introduction of ironheart into this because like in the comics that is a very interesting character and it's it's an mm-hmm. interesting character to go into as a um, an alternate for your Iron Man type character. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in this movie, like, I don't know if it was the actor or if if it was the writing all around her, but she was just thoroughly unac- unlikable. Mm-hmm. Um, like she was very much like. I don't know, she, she wasn't, like, her, which, I mean, that's probably part of the arc, but she didn't seem heroic so much as, like, okay, yeah, I'm gonna help these people cheat and stuff my pockets, and then fuck everyone. <laughs> um, mm. Give me that money, I'm gonna disappear. Like, it, like she, she's a very stereotypically written character that I, I did not appreciate um, in the movie. Like they, they could have done better on account of that character, I think. Yeah. Um the the other thing with, with the villain in this movie is like I I know you're not supposed to see Namor's side. Like the the uh theming around the character, um, the society 
built up around the character. Like, I feel like they pulled off Namor, right? Like, um... But the thing that set Killmonger apart is that it's like, well, no, I, I can see his point. Like, I can kind of side with this villain. Where mm-hmm. there wasn't really any of that for Namor in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, if we're just speaking about the meta as well, because it, they're Marvel movies, they're the most reported on movies uh, in the past 20 years, um, Letitia Wright's behavior on set and during the pandemic and like there's a reason she stopped being interviewed because she has these bizarre beliefs and mm. a lot of that tainted the character for me and it's just like okay well if they're going to make this if they're not going to replace her because of how she's behaving and, and like how, how she's uh, spreading disinformation right mm-hmm it's like, well, I don't want to see her in the role. Like, why should she be rewarded for acting like an asshole on set? Yeah. And that goes for any actor that's acting like an asshole on set. Like, <laughs> yeah, that goes for anyone named, uh, you know, first name Ezra, and last name Miller. Exactly. Like, and that's not even. Do I want to see the Flash? <laughs> of course. Am I? Probably not. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't want to reward them for that shit. <laughs> Yeah, they, uh, that's very, um, mercenary, uh, it's, it's because they're using that film to kind of kickstart everything over again, so they don't have another, we spent 300, 400 million vehicle to, um, to do that, you know, so they can kickstart the universe again. So we will see. Uh, yeah, I can't wait to see what they do. Because, like, James Gunn has pretty much come out and said, no, this is the last of the, the Snyderverse-style movies that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could see some of that, too, in the trailer. They have that um, that kind of background, washed-out, digital yeah. background sort of thing where just everything can can sometimes seem really solid and then sometimes just feel very very soupy and like plasticky yeah um and so it, it just kind of well, that's for sure yeah and it, it really just takes you out of out of the experience yeah um yeah there's um yeah i don't i don't know but maybe maybe 20 30 years like remasters will include uh an auto ai generated overlay yeah. to all the current <laughs> cgi where they increase like the fidelity, you know, it's kind of like 4K textures are now for games that were released in the 90s. Yeah. Here's a 4K texture pack to kind of make everything look <laughs> a little bit sharper and more realistic. Uh, and they'll be able to do that same thing. Um, yeah, so the writer's strike is interesting. Um, yeah, it's going to push back a whole lot of stuff. The... Uh... Like Deadpool three, I think is going to be extremely affected by it because mm-hmm. it means Ryan Reynolds can't improvise on set. Like I, I think he's part of the PGA. I know he's mm-hmm. part of the SGA, which recently author- voted to authorize the strike. Which yeah. will mm-hmm. kind of tip tip our hands as to when we're recording this. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the the SGA just voted uh, to authorize a strike, and so. It, it kind of hurts because you know that the movies that are and movies and shows that are filming right now that are coming out like in 
fall or early next year, they're all going to be garbage because it's going to be like, well, let's rush and get this out <laughs> mm-hmm. before it takes place. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, reasonable concessions I think they're looking for on the um, the writer's side. And I love, and I say that almost sarcastically being in the position of like, talking about the AI tools like in December and then you know my wife being like oh well I don't how is this anything more than like just like a a fancy Google Um, and then it getting to the point where like everybody's talking about it yeah and it's impacting potential jobs and hiring and executives are just having wet dreams at night about what they could potentially sort of um you know get rid of the labor for hey maybe we could just have one or two writers in a room with a chat bot and they'll insert some scripts in it'll be more sophisticated than just like what you see in in chat gpt and they'll just be in charge of like sprucing it up you know uh like refining it from there and that's kind of what they're trying to avoid um with you know their strike and what they're sort of asking for well it's funny that the jobs that this like that would most affect this are producer jobs because like i fucked around with things in chat gpt and like it's good for high level like here's a pitch for a movie here's a scriptment or whatever it's Mm -hmm. not great at actually generating real scripts like Mm-hmm. It it's just copy pasta from other places. Um, yeah, you got to think. One of the things about it is has to do with the training data set. Yeah. And I was I've been talking to you. I don't I can't remember if on the podcast specifically, but there are going to be, and some of the open source community, just from putting my developer hat on, is coming to grips with that you can make really good models that don't require like a a billion different points of data or like a trillions points of data but get them more focused and that means you can do the reinforcement training on a smaller data set and you can have it more nimble but it can also be more specialized so you'd have like a an ai whether it's like a, a using something specifically with chat or you're passing in parameters uh, and then it has some other like randomization elements with it or some other things you can do to tweak the results from the model mm-hmm. you're going to have things that because chat gpt is like uh, a bit like um like uh, duct tape you know you can use duct tape for a lot of different things yeah. and it has like some strengths um, but if I was going to, um, put two pieces of metal together, you know, I'm going to, to weld, I'm going to have a specialized way of like adhering things and not to get too like far afield with like a mixed metaphor, but that basically means I think there's, and there's going to be things that are more specialized that have specialized data sets so that you won't be able to ask it like how to make, um, gasoline 
you know, but you will be able to say, uh, hey, uh, give me 36 variations on this kind of character um, in this sort of environment with this subject matter, uh, overlay um, these like uh, common things that are occurring in this time because I want it to be a little bit more topical, uh, sketch me out different arcs that the characters could go for and like different kinds of crests and peaks that I could have to the balance of the season. Yeah. Um, and so it'll be more nuanced uh, because it'll, it'll be specialized on a data set and Hollywood will just throw in all the scripts that they have access and rights to to kind of train it on. Um, and so you can have something that'll be really tweaked uh, that, okay, write it like, because if you ask ChatGPT now, like write me like a rough draft of a script for something that is in the style of like Kevin Smith, you know, it'll kind of sort of get there, but not really. Yeah. Like it, it hits like some of the bigger things but if you have a bot that has actually been fed these things and specifically trained on that and then reinforced yeah. uh, and that kind of reinforcement, because one, one of the things that people don't, you know, that it's getting talked more about now is that the reinforcement part of the training is humans going in, seeing the results and saying like, this is good, this is bad, give me more like this, or you obviously got this wrong. So you get like a Kevin Smith buff. And again, this is a simplified example just for talking. Yeah. Getting the results from that script generation and then saying, yeah, this is more like what he did here in Dogma. This is more like early Kevin Smith style. This is more like later. And so then you can get like finer detail that way, uh, which basically translates to, um, uh, you know, making uh, labor more replaceable in that respect. Um, and so the, the thing that we've had with um, images where you know you have watermarks and stuff that the data set has been trained in to kind of feed off and then you see like these faux watermarks that come up, you're gonna probably have things that are fed on yeah. material that is like from actual scripts and they'll be potentially I don't know, I know for things now, you know, you have the power dynamic is already tilted in the studio's favor. So I can't imagine like things have been set up to where there's already protections in place for them just feeding things into a model. There's no protections for that. You know, and so it's, the thing is that tool itself is actually great when you can put something like in the hands of like a writer's team and they can get together and collaborate mm -hmm. and make better shows and it's like any other tool but when you you take out the 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 great uses like i said i've told zach i'm not i'm not afraid of the tool i'm afraid of human nature yeah because human nature is just wanting to fuck other people over to like maximize capital and leverage yeah. um and so you're gonna see that you know you're gonna see stuff that's more nuanced specifically set there like imagine a a bot that has some auto voice generation combined with it being fed like 
receptionists or like administrative assistants, like conversations and like dialogue, that's going to get really nuanced for that particular package set um, and better at sort of replacing that kind of role and position. We already can create 3D digital avatars. We can create, uh, you know, voices uh, that come up with, you know, you feed it something that responds and listens and sort of analyzes and then, okay, the the natural inclination is to, you know, phase um, phase that out. It's like, oh, well, well, we'll create new jobs, you know. Well, the, yeah, there will be some new jobs um, in that regard, but there are people that were displaced by um, the offshoring of jobs uh, within the past couple decades mm-hmm. and the destruction of uh, the industrial sort of manufacturing bedrock of like midwest and other areas that it, it they're just hollowed out like that's yeah. that damage is done yeah. um and you you see the generational sort of um consequences of that in not only in those people's lives but also in politics mm-hmm. um in the way things people are campaigned for and so it's it just, um, yeah, I don't, I don't see any way we really stop it. It's more just like, uh, uh, it's like that moment where I'm like bracing before I can see something bad is happening. Yeah. You know, this object is falling from the ceiling, uh, and or I, I pulled something in the closet, and I didn't realize that something really heavy was resting on it, and now I see this thing falling, and it's gonna hit me in the face. Yeah. And now I'm just bracing. And I feel like that's kind of where we at where we're at with that. Yeah. Yeah, I um from from the the writers that I follow on Twitter and from the different shows that I listen to that have had them on to speak about it, like to show you how far or how imbalanced the studio versus the, the writers' positions are, like when they struck in O seven streaming was just not even a thing that people were really thinking about and so that's not part of their compensation when you have writers on a show for like netflix for example um they're treated as writing a uh like freelance right so they don't have to pay them as much if it's under 13 episodes or under two seasons uh or three seasons maybe um they don't have to pay them as much as they normally would which is why you see Netflix kill shows at like season two or put out a 10 episode season, <laughs> right? It's, so, mm-hmm. it's specifically so they can fuck over writers and pocket as much money as possible. Um, and then grant their co-CEOs $50 million bonuses. You know, it, like how, how many writers would that pay? Because they, they don't, writers don't make $50 million. Yeah. <laughs> right? Um, but yeah, like the the original reason for them starting the strike, um, AI was was a part of it, but the bigger part was that they're not sharing any of the revenue for streaming. Like I was listening to a show where, mm-hmm. um, the the writer for the the Hocus Pocus two movie was talking, um, and you know that was apparently a big success for Disney. She doesn't know whether it was or not because like with traditional tv you can file a petition for the wga 
to make sure your residual check is for the right amount because TV can keep track of that. Streaming, because they're not really publicly shared, they don't really have to. So them saying, yeah, this is one of the most watched things. Like, she didn't give the dollar amount, but she was just like, I was shocked that I was seeing all of these articles about how great this thing was and how many people had watched it and how many times and the amount of the residual associated with it. Mm-hmm. And when she logged her compl- or lodged her complaint, WGA went to Disney and Disney said, nope, this is how many times it's been streamed. Which is mm-hmm. just like the new version of Hollywood accounting is mm-hmm. them hiding all of these extra costs um, mm-hmm. that don't even really really exist. But um, yeah, like I forget where I was going with with all of this, other than to say you know support your writers and actors. If you don't have writers or actors for shows, you don't have shows. <laughs> you know, yeah, <laughs> it's it's always a bizarre line of thinking to me whenever you see things like this where they're like well we don't we don't need writers we'll just have reality television and it's like not everyone watches reality television one and two there are still writers for that mm-hmm. <laughs> not all of this is real yeah <laughs> i hate to break break it to anyone who is laboring under that <laughs> misconception but reality shows are not fact real they do have writers on staff for those all all the drama in the real world was completely natural there was no <laughs> moment in time where anyone was being fed narratives that they were going to have yeah or yeah, or they were being constructed in editing and post well and like whenever you see reports of people looking into replacing certain aspects of like manufacturing or whatever with ai it's like okay so you're you're manufacturing goods but you don't want to pay people who is buying Mm. these goods if no one has any money because no one is getting hired (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like i like i know that the goal is to maximize income for for shareholders or whatever but like that's not a huge leap to go well if no one's getting paid how are they going to buy this product Mm -hmm. you know like I, i don't understand why that is such a difficult leap for that but whatever <laughs> uh i guess from there because the black panther wakanda forever movie was was my last thing oh um i guess i mean see it if you're a marvel completionist i i don't know if i'll rewatch it or not like it wasn't what were your feelings on that specific one um, wakanda forever yeah um i thought it was a, just a bit uneven yeah. um I liked certain parts of it. Again, I think the the stuff that they're doing actual mourning, trying to deal with his death from a character, and also just like a film perspective, that was effective. Yeah. Um, but it was almost like a you know they they had to. It's not even just like a pivot. It's it's they had to make a completely different movie. Yeah. Um. <laughs> and so that just is a really tough thing to have to do. And so I, I commend him for that. Yeah. The um, one of the issues I think that I've seen with um, and I, I don't know if it has to do with scale, uh, but you know, Fahey came out and said that you know, hey, we're not, we're we're gonna have these different um, phases, but we're we're not gonna make it so that 
you know, everything ties into like the same single narrative. Um, we're going to have general arcs and we have a direction that we want to go, but not everything has to be well connected, you know, together. Cause I imagine that was probably really difficult to do. Yeah. Um, and that also meant, <laughs> you know, the cynic in me says that that also meant that the characters that get introduced at the beginning of a phase or a story arc become more important to the arc as it goes on. Yeah. So they have to be paid more. Yep. Um, <laughs> you and, you know how his brain will be working, right? <laughs> and so if if it not has to be set up specifically that way, then uh, you know pe- people can be kind of interchangeable. Like we can, okay, we thought we could have this character fulfill this role. Maybe it's this other character, but it also, to me, feels like it just means that things are just very diffuse. And what worked with the films is that they felt like they connected together in a way that each one supported one another um, and felt like it had a logical direction that it was going. Uh, Whereas now it's more like, uh, we'll see a movie and then we'll we'll put that little connecting link on the end of it, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah. that connects the end of it and that connects to the one at the beginning. And so it just, it means we have like a, a necklace chain where the different parts are just really different. And this is a really weird necklace uh, that we're having to look at here. Um, so you'll have really good moments and, and you know, like, let's say with like Shang-Chi, that are really entertaining. Um, but, and then you'll also have like, okay, this is, I guess, supposed to connect in this way. And so it just feels um, less effective. Sure. Uh, whereas you can watch, you can watch the first three phases and things just boom, boom, boom. Uh, and even spaces where it kind of takes itself, um, like it takes a pause, like let's say specifically for like Guardians. Yeah. Guardians is effective as a film by itself, but then the Guardians and the characters and people that are introduced there play a really important part in the Thanos arc, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So it the time invested there feels like you had an overarching narrative, whereas now, I'm sure due to COVID and a lot of other reasons for them having to... And then right around COVID, like they're launching Disney+, Plus. I don't even want to think about what it's like to have that many shows in production to have where we're, we're doing a, a, a cohesive uh, cinematic universe. And now, unless they just hired like a million more really great writers and producers and et cetera, and just like bought them all out. Yeah. Now it just, they have so much more they had to keep track of. So I think you have things that suffer uh, because of that, because they just don't, it didn't get enough time or focus or, or money because um, you have to split okay we're going to spend a ton on the the Loki show and have a really great like visual language and that's going to be part of like the show and it's yeah. going to be really effective and then you're going to have the She-Hulk show which I thought had entertaining moments and bits but there's no there's no visual language there uh, that is underpinning it some of the cgi is like is really bad um because then they're also having to spread those resources really thin yeah um when they had you know the uh you know the last 
you know, movie Endgame, and you get, you know, th- you know, you get Weta, you get ILM, you get the other one that I can't remember right now, um, working on specific scenes because like so much shit is happening. Yeah. And then you have to try to spread those resources out, and you don't have maybe that level of quality and focus. It's it's difficult, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, what are you gonna do? Spend three times as much no you're gonna spend the same amount or try to just spread it out a little bit thinner and so i think that's kind of what we're seeing um with uh, at least for me in the past couple movie experiences um a lot of different of those factors like combining together yeah yeah i mean i this is one for me that that like i just i do not see myself rewatching it like i do with you know guardians of the galaxy movies mm-hmm. i mean to be fair guardians of the galaxy doctor strange spider-man those are ones that i rewatch i rewatched the the first black panther mm-hmm. but this one like i don't know it i don't know if it's because they had to make such a hard change to the storyline versus mm-hmm. all of the other things i said earlier it's it's just kind of a kind of a dud kind of like most of the things in phase four yeah in my opinion not specifically related to like marvel movies but for me the um the hallmark of like a really well told story and then by you know uh building on that the hallmark of a really good film is where i know where we're headed but each little valley and crest mm-hmm. uh each little point that we head to like oh yeah this moment is so great because the the craft of getting me to that point from like a sound perspective music visual stories characters is so well executed that the payoff is still there because it's so it's so well executed um, that I can know what's going to happen, where we're headed, and but it still just draws me in, you know. Um, and you had a lot of moments like that in um, in you know kind of the original phases, yeah. um, and you'll see moments like that again, you know, whether it's like funny moments or you know really um, dramatic moments, uh, you know the uh the elevator scene in civil war it's a great scene you see (laughs) it you know it's coming but it's just so well done and you things have to build up to that point that when you get there it's still entertaining yeah um because it's just good story it's good acting it's good direction and even though you know it's it's going to be there it's still oh this is a great payoff in Civil War, like some of the the crashing of the building scene doesn't isn't like the best from a CGI perspective, but the story is taking you along enough that you don't care, you yeah. know. Like you're still there in for the ride. Yeah, um, it's like I see what's happening on screen. I, I get what they're going for. Um, mm-hmm. Like it, it doesn't have to look perfect or or pretty even. <laughs> yeah, because it's not really about like the visual yeah. there. The visual. If it's in service to the story, you're like you're you're along for the ride. Yeah, exactly. Like with the first, the first Iron Man, you have um, 
God, I forget what his name is. That's uh, in the cave with Tony, um, where you know he sacrifices himself, and then he tells you know Tony not to waste you know don't waste your life, um, you know basically like you know make make my sacrifice kind of worth it. Yeah. Um, and that still hits because like you're building up to that point, you see it in the acting, you see it in Robert Downey Jr.'s face, yeah. um, and so it gives that all weight, um, and that's just. I mean, it's just great filmmaking, and it's outside of the MCU. It's other movies you really like that you really enjoy that yeah. you kind of see that in there. Um, so I think we're just kind of missing uh, missing that kind of focus because you know, once you get you tell that story, okay, we're gonna come up to this next narrative thread, and you know things have a payoff and kind of an investment. Well, it kind of goes hand in hand with something that. Disney did with um, Star Wars too where they were like well instead of putting focusing on quantity we'll start focusing on quality and it's like wait why weren't you doing that before <laughs> why, why was that not always the goal <laughs> and you know like with the, the breadth of stories I think relatedly with, with Marvel is the first three phases like my understanding is that Feige was was pretty much in charge of it. Like he had final say of this is what we're doing. Like so at the scale that they're doing them now with the TV shows and with the the movies, like it's it is kind of unrealistic to expect one guy to be like the secret keeper of the universe. Right. Mm -hmm. Some of that's being farmed out. And some of that's just being left in the hands of directors. So like if you look at like this, they brought 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 back Ryan Coogler. The um, the last phase, you know, they they got some pretty big name directors to kind of do what they want with it, kind of like what they did with James Gunn and Taika Waititi. Um, mm. But I don't know how good that is from a unifying aspect. Like if they don't know what they're all working on, like, a, and apparently, like this kind of lowered my opinion of. of Taika Waititi a little bit is that like he only he claims that he only um, put the goats into Love and Thunder um, and, and the weirdness around the pantheon there uh, he only put those things in there to fuck with James Gunn when he was making his next Guardians movie and so James Gunn just ignored it and didn't put them in the Guardians because guess what he doesn't have to <laughs> because these yeah. movies are not really related yeah um and so like you get a lot of those personalities doing things like that to each other and it's like okay so you're all making your own stamp here you're not really contributing to the larger overarching stories anymore yeah and um, I, I i get there was a lot of complaints related to directors interacting with the marvel machine and feeling like there was too much oversight and control and it felt sort of suffocating um, I remember that being like a common thread uh, where they're like yeah and I have to do this and they tell me I gotta include this and this is kind of where the story has to go and so I don't really feel like I can have as much of a say um, and you know you had people leaving I think Ant-Man had that issue um, you've had other things that had that issue in the first couple think first couple phases and um yeah i think there's a balance for that 
and I think um, yeah like I'm yeah. not arguing for like a stranglehold but also like I don't know John Favreau did a fantastic job under those conditions James Gunn did a fantastic job <laughs> under those conditions yeah. like the people you see leaving are, are kind of notorious um, assholes and hard to get along like Edgar Wright leaving makes sense mm-hmm. like he doesn't like being told what to do so mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah he he yeah. was never going to to succeed under those conditions yeah um but then on the other hand it leads to kind of what they were doing in phase i want to say phase two a little bit where they were very obviously getting up and coming directors because they had they did not have the clout to like push back on anything they wanted to do like that's mm-hmm. not good either um yeah because whenever you make something by committee it kind of turns out worse but yeah i mean i'm still going to mm-hmm. see the marvel movies i i haven't seen any in theater since the pandemic mm-hmm. um oh no i take that back i i went to see uh, guardians of the galaxy 3 which i'll probably talk about next week because <laughs> this, mm-hmm. this is running a little bit long but um yeah no i um you know having them come to disney plus is definitely a boon because now if, if there's one that i see that there's there's word coming out of like oh yeah it's kind of garbage you don't have to see it it's like well okay i'll just wait the two months mm-hmm. it'll it'll pop up here <laughs> exactly well with all that in an hour and however many minutes in um let's talk about glorious <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um i i have very little pre-production notes on this like it was very hard to track down anything really um i have the rotten tomatoes is, is 87 um obviously i said ryan quantin and jk simmons are uh really the only two characters in this movie um there, there are a couple of other actors but it's primarily two people interacting in or a person interacting in a single location interacting with a voice um the only positive review i could find for this though despite the 87 percent rotten tomato is that it is fun gooey and mean-spirited but creative cosmic horror that brings a new level of grossness to a location already thought of as super gross by most of the people who were forced to use it because this movie is about a man getting trapped in a public restroom uh, and in the stall next to him where there's a little hole cut out in the wall um, he's interacting with a uh, I think the character says demigod is technically the best word but a, a cosmic god right mm-hmm. um, what did you think what, what was your, your first thought upon like absorbing this movie uh because how um, much did you know about it going into it? Uh, just from the uh, the uh, sort of the detail synopsis on mm. kind of the page before you click play, um, oh. and that was kind of my knowledge. And then seeing the trailer, so I watched the trailer with uh, my wife as well. Uh, so I'll see. The impressions are not um, bad. I don't. I think it's in a an effective film at what it's trying to do yeah. um 
I feel like uh, it, it's kind of like the kind of um, I would say moral tale, um, but it had like a uh, you know a tales from the crypt um, kind of feel. Uh, maybe you know some you know modern kind of twilight zone sort of thing but more tales from the crypt yeah uh you'd have something like that and i there's something about um that where i think i'd actually like a rendition of this with tales from the crypt like puppeteering <laughs> and like practical goo technology yeah. um if they if with, they kind of cornballed it up a little bit more yeah yeah and make it you know a little more make it pulpy in the, in that kind of kind of period but i know that's that time is is kind of done and um it's crazy how you know cgi effects are less expensive from i think from a timing and planning perspective um and also sometimes from like you know what's going to be involved in planning this shot and getting it done together because you think about oh okay well i mean it's going to take a team of people like working together doing cgi stuff but then you're also not on set trying to like film the shot and make sure you captured it and then making sure you're having to redo it or you're having to like spend more time in pre-production um developing you know the animatronic or whatever kind of squib explosion thing that you're doing um so i get that um but i think yeah like we talked about a little bit before it could have been condensed and i think that would have made it more effective yeah. because it's not it's not covering a lot of ground from a story perspective no. um we're hanging out with this character and we're experiencing some things with him um but interactions and things that happen could have been more condensed because it is just occurring in one room. Um, And it's not like we're having to experience like deep psychological horror or like there's twists and turns that occur. Like you, you pretty much know where you're going with, with one exception from, you know, a story perspective. Um, That, uh, that movie with Ryan Reynolds where he's like buried underground. Yeah. Uh, that I saw that one I mean you're pretty much you're in one place yeah. but there's like twists and sort of turns and you're kind of like kept into that area that's not even a room it's just a box, just a box you know yeah. <laughs> um, but there's a lot of stuff sort of happening there um, and I haven't seen that movie since it came out so I can't speak on you know <laughs> how great or whatever level of quality but I remember watching it and kind of keeping my attention at the time whereas this it's like okay we could sort of truncate this I think you, you mentioned it would have probably have made a better short film and i think that's yeah that's like really the, accurate in the the like for like i i would not be surprised if this movie would work better um as maybe like a like a 40 minute thing mm-hmm. like so like you said like it may, maybe an episode in an anthology series yep um, for tv because and and for anyone i don't know why you would be listening to this if you have not watched this but um yeah, like the the movie opens with a guy who appears to have gone through a breakup. Um, I was fully suckered 
by Ryan Quanton's character. Um, it it mm-hmm. looks like he has gone through a breakup. Um, and he pulls over uh, at a public rest stop, burns a bunch for of me, stuff. For me, it was like the, the vibe I was getting is like, what the fuck happened? Like, because me, it didn't communicate breakup. It communicated like, I what happened? Like, what occurred? Yeah, well, by breakup, I also mean like, like, uh, not necessarily breakup, but like, it looked like either he had proposed and it had gone disastrously wrong, like in a very public spectacle way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or it was like they were engaged and like something horrible happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that made them like he cheated on her like or he something cheated on her and she broke it off or whatever yeah like yeah, that that just, was more the vibe that i was getting because there's like, there's that beginning line where she's like i thought i was the only one you know or you told me i was the only one or something like that yeah you know that gets dropped um that i don't think really you see mention of again and once you do get contact with her it seems like something that's out of character for yeah. her to have said so on once you get to the end it almost feels like something that he's his psyche has created yeah it's like a memory that's just made up yeah yeah mm-hmm. um oh. but yeah no he he goes to a uh, rest stop um uh burns a bunch of shit drinks a an entire handle of, <laughs> of whiskey and so he wakes up the next morning with no pants and having to vomit immediately and so rather than just vomiting out in the public i guess he runs into the restroom um one of the things that grossed me out with this movie though i will say is that if i'm sick i do not stick my face in the toilet at my own home i no way would stick my head into a public toilet yeah Um, i feel like that has to be because i've seen it so many times and had that same feeling that has to be part of the gross factor. Yeah. Like when you're directing that and writing it, you're like, yes, get your head way in there. <laughs> um, uh, but even then, like I've seen like dramatic stuff or like dramatic comedy things where you'll have like a female character in like a rom-com, like stick their head. They're just like laying on the toilet. Uh, and I just, for, for me, I have the same ex- feeling where I just like, I'm not doing that. No. Like, I'm not going to be in a state unless I'm. I need to be hospitalized. Yeah, like I that's have to the not level. Be moving of my own like <laughs> yeah. ability <laughs> to be doing that. I physically can't support my own weight uh, to push myself away from it. Yeah. <laughs> so um, yeah. But yeah, he's he's getting sick in this toilet, and this voice in the stall next to him starts talking to him. Um, I do think it's a very funny thing when he opens with, with you know, just to claim that he's God and, and um, the character just kind of like rolls his eyes and <laughs> like, okay, I'm dealing with a crazy person here. Okay, sure. Um, mm-hmm. But then he's, he, he makes the mistake of, of rubbing his eye and he's like, oh shit, or rubbing his face, I think. He's like, I've had mm-hmm. my hand in this toilet. <laughs> what the fuck is on my face and he like runs through like 17 different <laughs> mm-hmm. strains of of bacteria semen <laughs> fecal matter <laughs> yeah he's like you want me to list them all for you i can give you uh a... alphabetically or chronologically as to when they yeah <laughs> the inventory of people that have used this toilet here yeah um... 
Um, and he's he's trapped there because this uh, the the monster in the stall next to him is the is a a, a, a kind of a demi god of destruction. Like it's it's the offshoot of an old elder god that that was risen up against and killed, right? Mm-hmm. Or banished, imprisoned, in yeah. prison some way. Yeah, and he's <clears throat> he's broken out of his prison, and so now the the god that's trapped in this bathroom is uh, assigned to destroy existence and return it to the state of peaceful nothingness that was there before. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't want to do that. Like it's it's become attached to reality, and so what he needs to stop it is away. <laughs> Before I get into what he needs to stop it, I think it's very funny when Ryan Quanton's character is like, is being told, I need something from you uh, to keep this from happening. And he goes, all right, all right. And he unbuckles his pants and he puts his dick through the glory hole. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and J.K. Simmons, which he's not really doing a voice in this so much mm-hmm. as like having layers of distortion added so it kind of sounds like the peanut m&m responding mm-hmm. <laughs> or talking about all this as the god of destruction is like reacts co- confused and like what is that and he goes that's that's my penis why would you put your penis through the hole <laughs> yeah <laughs> just er- thoroughly confused and it's like yeah. no i need a piece of your liver <laughs> yeah now what implied that uh you know that that's what I wanted from you. Mm-hmm. And then um, his character gets a little bit offended because he's like, okay, okay, I get it, I get it. All right, that's, I thought that's what you wanted. I mean, it's it, because it's there. It's it's a glory hole yeah. in the stall. So that, that sort of makes sense in that respect. Surrounded um, by the coolest graffiti I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, some real, real top shelf art there. Um, haven't seen... I don't know if I've actually seen a glory hole on top of a decorated glory hole. Yeah. In uh, to that level, I, I'll say, as far as my thoughts, to hit on some of the big notes, because um, from a storyline perspective, it's really s- pretty, pretty straightforward for yeah. these kind of like tales. Um, I I don't know why they wanted to play the the switcheroo card because they do it for the audience as well yeah um of like okay he's gonna stick his thing in there i guess yeah this is like a glory hole cthulhu monster that wants his seed okay i've i've seen that within this kind of narrative um it's a little odd and then why they switch it to the liver um because then it makes it it makes it less effective sort of the build-up that you'd be getting to that not because that's what you want to see, but then it's like, okay, then we're going to veer into like a body horror element. Yeah. Um, and also the, um, for me, thinking about the story, uh, having you talk about it, I almost think it would have been more effective to, if we were going to make this longer, um, include more of the beginning before he gets to this stall area. Um because the fact that he's he's a uh, you know he's gonna come out with it you know he's a serial killer yeah um, 
you could still kind of hide, but you could keep some of that. That obviously would make it more expensive to shoot. You'd have other people, different set locations. So it's a whole different kind of film. But from a just from a blank story perspective, you could still keep some of that mystery and confusion um, by not really showing the whole bit of narrative and still get that payoff at the end as to what's actually what's actually happening, what kind of person you yeah, know, this character is. Yeah, because they back to it a couple of times. And the first time you think it's like, oh, he's... Because of him just keeping this box out where, where she could find his, his like trophy case or whatever, it's like her initial reaction in his memories is along the lines of like, oh, these are like sex pics and you're cheating on me or whatever. Mm -hmm. And like it takes them a couple of reveals before they get to the like, oh no, he's been capturing and, and like serial killing mm -hmm. women <laughs> yeah. on the side. Um, which yeah. it's an interesting twist. It, it was one that I didn't see coming just based on the first thing. And, and the because this movie is so short it, you don't have a whole lot of time to reflect on what's going on like it's it's yeah. paced fairly well and paced fairly quickly um, yeah i just think you could have had a little bit more i don't know payoff from from it because you've yeah. had more time with reflection yeah the creepy bear is creepy but uh yeah. it's kind of in and there in and out um and some of that uh psychological Cthulhu stuff I thought was um, effective and you could have more of that and you could use that to kind of um, sort of hide that you could even have J.K. Simmons character you know make kind of subtle appearances like you know like a voice or like because he talks about oh you felt like the ground is kind of weird like things felt different and it was like no not really yeah. there's no time where that character experienced that yeah. but if you had set that up beforehand then it would have seemed like this is more like destined to occur like right. this was going to happen and I think what would be great you could have a, a a double arc because you have this train of thought where J.K. Simmons demigod is trying to stop the destruction of uh, you know, all of reality, basically, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and then the, what's what's the actor's name again? Ryan Quantin. Ryan Quantin's character um, could also be set up as, um, a, I mean, another destructive force that he's stopping because we could kind of see, like, oh, without giving away the end, like, he's obviously breaking this thing off, like, oh, he's just kind of iterant, you know, he just kind of doesn't have, like, a spot to sort of settle in, um, where I feel like they want to have that all in the payoff at the end. Yeah. But there isn't enough kind of meat there. It's still surprising. It's still like, oh, okay. But it's more just like, oh, okay, at least for me, <laughs> as far as a surprise rather than, like, you know, boom, really hits. Um, because you don't really know a lot about this character. And right. Ryan Quanton's character. You don't really learn about a lot about him, um, other than you know his kind of interactions here and there. Um, so you could have had uh, the arc of okay, the this elder god that's you know bent on destroying gets stopped. Ryan Quanton's character also gets stopped, which is there, like they're implying that. Um, 
but putting in some of that uh, that beginning bit and like obfuscating it and playing around with it more could also make it you could have this parallel between this unknown entity force like this un, not understandable force of this elder god and Ryan Quantum also being this unknown like non-understandable force because that's the that's the the draw of you know for people that are really interested in serial killers and that yeah the way they operate they are this enigma of reality like they exist amongst us but they're not understandable to like regular folks so i thought you really could hit harder in that respect by just giving us a little bit more at sort of the beginning and so then both of the curtains are sort of drawn apart uh because then the elder god shows up and you're like oh okay well that makes sense but then the actual thing the actual curtain that's being drawn is is him you know in his kind of role um so yeah that's that's it for that yeah i mean i i did like the the ending exchange when it because i mean yeah to it has to be a piece of liver that he sacrifices so he has to cut it out of himself Mm-hmm. Um, I do like the bit at the end where, you know, if, if you cut pieces of your liver out of yourself in a public restroom, you're not long for this world afterwards Yeah. Um, with no way to, to call for help. Um, like, he's kind of fantasizing. He's like, I'm a hero. I saved reality. And, and I like that the Elder God corrects him. He's like, no, we're, we're both instruments of destruction. We don't belong mm-hmm. in this world. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I do like that back and forth. I think I think the movie ultimately is better written than a lot of things that are just straight to VOD. Because I, I don't think that this even went to theaters at all. Because, I mean, it yeah. came out in 2022. I think Shudder bought it. Um, so it's a big... I'm pretty sure it's on Prime. I don't know how you found it. Yeah, it's on Prime. Um you could also sign up for a, a free trial, seven-day free trial with Shutter, and then there's other par- parallels that come up, like, okay, who's who's the force of creation of destruction? It's obviously both of their fathers, you know, <laughs> yeah. one of them being an elder god, yeah, yeah, yeah. the other one being this. And so I thought you could have these kind of seeds that are there. Sure. That maybe you see sort of after, you could, you could just make them more effective because there is a lot of really good meat, yeah. I think, on the bones here. Yeah. So. But effective, you know, yeah. nice. Uh, it's a little bit long. Um, mm-hmm. They they could have done completely away with um, anything related to the the guy who knocks on the door. Hey, hey, you remember Gary's name, all right? Um, oh, was it Gary? Gary, I had yeah. In my head for some reason, <laughs> Gary. Okay, so yeah, with with um, with that whole interruption that could have been eliminated entirely i think but mm-hmm. then then it wouldn't be just barely feature length so yeah then you'd have issues selling it to anyone um because that guy ultimately is just there to be torn apart as an example of this thing being an actual god but it's like well i mean it locked you in here and it <laughs> it's keeping mm-hmm. anyone from responding to you i feel like that's pretty good evidence as well yeah yeah i think we can we don't have to see it uh, puree uh, a human. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty gross. Vibe. Just the level of, of just 
being torn apart while living that that guy has done to him. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much. Yeah. It. I don't know. I'll I'll probably rewatch it at some point, but like it's not one that that I feel the need to really go back to because it's it is paced really quickly because it's a very short movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Do you feel like this one is rewatchable or no? Not really, yeah. because it it feels like there's um there's a lot of good stuff there um uh but i think um either like tightening it up and shorting making it shorter and making it part of an anthology would have made it more effective yeah because then things could kind of hit like boom 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 right or use that running time and um make it so that there's other elements kind of on the the front end especially that make it feel more like a feature length movie that we sort of lead here because one thing that J.K. Simmons demigod character is like you know this was fated to like come here like you were meant to, to like be here. to be every here every step you've taken has led you closer yeah. to this point yeah and because it just kind of shows up it still just feels random you know it doesn't feel sort of faded which again maybe we're talking about a different movie with a different kind of budget different kind of scale so yeah they did what they did and they you know they made some people happy and yeah. people watched it so uh, the it's one of those things where I'm not going to complain too well. much <laughs> it did it um did. a lot of it I, I don't know if you noticed that like there's very little CG in this mm-hmm. like oh, I, I do appreciate that so much of it was done practically mm-hmm. um like even when the elder god finds them it busts down a wall and it's a big puppet with weird squiggly arms <laughs> yeah. um so yeah i can appreciate that they use corn syrup and black dye <laughs> with mm-hmm. a little bit of red red flavoring <laughs> um for for the the gooey bits um, i just mm-hmm. hope that they that was a set that they built and they didn't actually shoot in a real public restaurant <laughs> oh yeah just for the actor's sake um, must have been I guess must have been a set for sure yeah it, it, it would almost have to be but um, yeah okay well uh, good it doesn't sound like I wasted too much of your time <laughs> no. I always feel bad when I've when I've uh, brought something and either you or Stuart are like who boy this is trash <laughs> Stop doing it, Zach. To, I'm not trying to make anyone angry. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, but yeah, I guess next time we'll we'll be talking about um, Werewolf by Night. Um, mm-hmm. Continue with the spooky theme. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in another little bit for you guys. I'm, cu- I'm curious if uh, we've done from beyond. If we've if I might have talked about that. I'd like to dive into some uh, some Italian horror. It's this just kind of some Italian um, psychological cosmic horror stuff. Yeah. Because this just kind of whetted my appetite for that. Where oh, it's I can like add spookier. It to the list. Yeah. Yeah. I'd have to see. There's a couple that I know I enjoyed back in the day. Um, I'll have to kind of review. Suspiria um, is always a good one. I mean, that's a good one to punch because the, the remake is different enough it's mm-hmm. almost a different movie um, yeah still good just different <laughs> yeah so we'll see yeah 
All right, folks.